Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. I'm Richard Bliss, the host, and this episode of Funding the Dream is Kickstarter and the law. My guest is a lawyer. His name is Zach Strebex. Zach, thanks for joining me. It's great to be here. We should tell our listeners that you're actually not here. They're going to assume that, but you're not only not here, you're based in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is where I am, but you're not there either. You're obviously a United States citizen, but you're not there either. You're actually in Tokyo tonight. I am in Tokyo this morning. It's morning for you. It's the uh, evening for here. And then tomorrow you're headed off to, uh, you were telling me, Beijing for client work. Correct. You have a website, gamelawyerblog.com. You focus on the game industry and the software industry as a lawyer. Yes. Okay, and the reason I've had you on the show is because you wrote a blog just recently that got the attention from what you were telling me is quite a few people. You want to tell us a little bit about that blog? Yeah, it blew up on Reddit and uh, some other sites. So it's about the final decision, which is a summary judgment decision in the case between the creator of Bang, the card game, and a game called uh, Legends of the Three Kingdoms. Right. And let's start. We, uh, there was a legal term you just used, which I found fascinating when I did a little bit of research, and you mentioned it in your blog, and that is summary judgment. Uh, summary Correct. judgment, from my understanding, is both sides agreed to the facts? Yes, there's no dispute as to the facts of the case, and it's just a matter of law. And so the facts of the case are, yes, we copied the game. Is that basically what the facts of the... Basically, yeah. They've taken all the game mechanics and rules, and they've copied them and put basically new art and a whole coat of paint on top of it and come out with a new game. And they didn't even argue that that's what they did? Nope. So help my listeners understand, what was the summary judgment for then? What was being decided here? Whether or not those things that they did copy were even protectable under copyright law. So this was a say, look, we did this, but it's okay because U.S. copyright law doesn't say that we broke the law when we copied all of the work that somebody else had done to create a game. Well. <laughs> all right, I'm just checking. I take offense at your language there. Okay. All the work to create the game. I mean, half the work is creating the artwork and the characters and the rule text and all those other things that are copyrightable elements. Whereas okay. they took the half that is the game mechanics and the character powers and character roles and things like that from Bang. Okay, good point. Let's talk then real quick about, let's do some uh, clarifications on some legal terms. Oh, well, they're not legal terms. We all know, we've heard of patents, we've heard of copyright, we've heard of trademarks. And so help us understand what the difference is on each one of those. Let's start with trademarks. Okay, trademarks basically protect your brand name. They are what we call source identifiers. So when you see Coca-Cola, you know that the product that you're going to buy is Coca-Cola that comes from the Coca-Cola bottling company, right? It's right. not from some guy you know, making some sort of cola in his bathtub or something like that and filling up Coke cans. Or making Coke in his bathtub and then he goes to jail. All right, got it. Yes, exactly. Okay. So the trademark protects you as the consumer by knowing that when you see that trademark, you know the source of those goods. Now, what's interesting is that trademark is, for example, uh, down the street is a, an Orange Theory workout place. Mm -hmm. And their logo, the color of their logo, the shape of their logo is exactly the same as HubSpot, an online lead generation management company. They're mm -hmm. the exact same logo, but you're saying right. that they can get away with that, though. I'm not saying that they can get away with that. That's entirely their and HubSpot's business. They shouldn't be able to get away with it. Well, okay, let me explain. Yeah, your trademark only exists, or you only get 
trademark protection for the specific class of goods or services that you're in. Oh, right? okay. The industry so, that you're in. Yeah, exactly. So if, if you're doing tabletop games, you're in class 28, which are, uh, covers toys, games, and uh, sports equipment, things like that. Right. But if someone were to do a website where they talk about, I don't know, do online education or something like that using the same trademark or logo or something like that, then they're probably okay because there's no overlap in the market that you're serving. There's no overlap in the types of goods or services that you're giving, uh, your marketing channels, all that stuff. Okay. Now that's a trademark. And the first thing that jumps to my mind is the Superman logo. Sure. Uh, right. That's a flat out, you cannot use that logo because that's a trademark. Is that correct? It's both trademark and copyright. Okay, so let's talk about copyright then. Copyright gives you the exclusive right to duplicate, to create derivative works, to publicly perform, and to do a bunch of other things with your original creative expression. And then that comes to our uh, Bang question. That is, well, Bang was thinking that somehow that these folks over at uh, Zyko Games, the company that was doing this, had violated their copyright. So they took this to court. And the courts came back and said, no. No. Well, at first, the court came back and said, maybe. And that's what oh, really? kept going. So when the case was initially filed in 2014, there was a motion to dismiss the case entirely. And so that's a little different from a summary judgment. So when you motion to dismiss, they assume that all the facts in your pleading are true. And then they decide, is there even enough there to constitute a claim? Right. And so if there isn't, then the court will dismiss the case entirely. And so if the court saw that none of this stuff was protectable, they could have dismissed it in the beginning two years ago. Got it. But because they didn't, somebody said, oh, hey, we need to look at this a little closer. Right. The court basically said, you know, all these roles and characters and things, even though the normally mechanics and rules aren't protectable by copyright, the interaction that this causes between the, uh, all the different character roles and things could be enough to give you copyright protection. So basically make your arguments, right? Go through discovery and find evidence and then make us your arguments. And you mentioned in one of your blogs that this was based on uh, some rulings that had been made earlier by some other cases. What were those? So the first case was one about Tetris. So it was like a mobile game clone of Tetris. And it included some language that talked more about the look and feel of the game and sort of more things than just the actual artwork or the, you know, the shape of the tetraminos, they're called the different Tetris pieces. So it was more than just copying the shape. Maybe there was something more that could be found there. And so using that language, I think another court in a case, the Spry Fox case, it's usually called, uh, which dealt with a mobile game called Triple Town versus a game called Yeti Town, which is basically a complete clone just the different artwork. I mean, the, the games look nothing alike, but the hierarchy of the different objects in there and some other things were exactly the same. The court kind of found that there could be protectable elements there, right? That case was settled soon after that, so we never got a final ruling on that, but there was a ruling on a motion just like with this. So if I'm a game designer and I've got an idea, I'm going to put it up on Kickstarter. What it sounds like is... My artwork can be protected. Well, I'm, you know, I'm buying that artwork usually, or else I'm an artist myself. Yep. I'm writing the rules. The rules can be protected, right? Yeah. And then I do the graphic design, which I guess can be protected. And the name of my game can be protected. By trademark, yeah. By trademark. But pretty much 
it sounds like that's kind of where it ends. And then once I've made it, if somebody else really thinks it's a great game, so could I go make a, a Settlers of Catan knockoff? And I don't know the answer to this, but if it's patented, the other type of intellectual property we didn't talk about earlier was patents. And patents protect inventions, methods, processes, things like that. Wow. So these sort of intangible ideas that copyright and trademark don't protect. So the problem with patents is, so as we all know, the tabletop industry is a low margin business, right? You're not going into it to make a ton of money. So for most games that come out, it just isn't worth the money and the time that it takes to patent something. Patents take years to do. They cost tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, you may see all the profit from your game, you know, evaporate at plus more in just that patent file. And then you have to defend the patent. Yeah, because actually what the patent gives you is a right to stop other people from doing something. So let's say you created a game and you have a patent on the rules. Then I go along and I improve those rules and I file my own patent. So my patent relies on your patent. It's nested inside of it. So I can't necessarily use what I've patented because it relies on me getting a license from you for your patent. So what I can do is stop other people from using what I've patented. So they can't use that innovation. Right. Got it's it. confusing. <laughs> None but of this it stuff is. is simple, but yeah. Hey, there's another one, famous marks that I've heard about. You mentioned that earlier, and I'm thinking, I mean, maybe you're talking about just if you haven't registered a trademark, maybe you have common law rights, which is like if I'm using something like a trademark, so let's say it's the name of my game, right? I'm calling it Bank. Okay. And that's my trademark, but I haven't registered it. I haven't done anything with it. I do have certain common law rights. So you have trademark rights, you have protection, but you just can't do anything with it unless you've actually registered your trademark. So if I'm going to sue you, I need to register my trademark first. Okay, so help me understand that. I have a game, I'm creating it, I'm putting it on Kickstarter. And so help me clarify here the difference between a trademark and a registered trademark. And well, there's, which one has the little, is that register, is that the little R with the circle? Yeah. The R is better. So the TM just means that you're claiming that you're using it like a trademark. So sometimes you'll see it. It'll be like a slogan or something like that. And they may say TM on it. They may not actually have a protectable mark. So it could be something that's just descriptive. So if I have an exercise program and my slogan is, you know, time to work out or something like that, and I put TM on it, it may mean that I can't actually register it because it's just describing what you're doing. It's not really... So trademarks can't be descriptive. They have to be some sort of unique or distinctive. Okay. And then the registered trademark, does it cost money to register my trademark? It does, unfortunately. Okay. So what protection does the registered trademark then give me? So a few things. You can sue someone in federal court for violating your trademark. I can give a lawyer money. So that's one thing. That's right. But you may get money in return. (laughs) All right. For a few years of litigation. Things like you can stop importation of counterfeit goods, things like that. So if you, you could use your registered trademark technically to like have the local sheriff go and raid a place that's hoarding your counterfeit goods and things like that. So, I mean, there's a few. The main one is just the fact that you can sue someone. That's the important thing. Got it. And I know that particularly now with uh, Kickstarter and the number of games, oftentimes, and I've seen this happen a few times, and I'm thinking of a, a woman who's been on my show a couple of times, Angie. Is her first name, where mm-hmm. her game, where they thought they had the rights to the name of the game, and then mm-hmm. halfway through the Kickstarter campaign came and said, nope, somebody else had the rights, and they had to change the name of their game. Yep. And so that's probably not that uncommon, is it? 
No, it's happened a bunch of times. Uh, it happened to Game Salute. I think uh, Story Realms is the one of the examples I use. That would be uh, Angie. Oh, okay. <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, there's that. There was a Brass Empire. I don't know if that was the name before or after, but there was a Kickstarter recently where there was another Kickstarter with the same name, and they claimed they complained to Kickstarter and got this guy's Kickstarter taken down. He had to change the name and put it back up. Got it. If I'm a Kickstarter creator and I'm about to do this, how do I go and find out? Well, you could uh, contact someone like me. Okay. We can do a search for it, or you could basically run your own search, right? You search the USPTO's website. They have a search engine there that's pretty archaic and weird, but once you get the hang of it, uh, it's actually pretty powerful. So tell me what that was. What's it called? USPTO.gov, the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Oh, so that's patents and trademarks. So Those are registered trademarks. Uh, you can search patents as well, but as far as trademarks go. That, that's where you go. But what about copyright? Well, there's copyright.gov, which is the uh, copyright website. The problem with that is, and this is why, you know, how do you search? It's not really possible to search. You need to independently create your stuff. That's the problem. So if you don't have access to something, you can't copy it, right? It makes sense. Uh, that does make sense. And then somebody say, well, yeah, I came up with the idea at the same time. Like, you know, you watch these TV shows where somebody yeah, invented and, something. And that's the thing. That's fine. Under copyright law, you can have independent invention of these things. The issue is you would then have to prove that you had no access to it. You just came up with it on, on your own. Do you know, I've been involved with something like this at one point. Just as a side note, I've been in the tech industry for many years. And several years ago, I was contacted by a gentleman who was being sued by Google. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. And he called me for help, which was incredibly flattering. (laughs) And he called me for help because I did not realize that I had invented something that a company that Google acquired had patented. And what did they do? Did they, they patented it. And then when Google acquired them, they used that patent to go after this gentleman who was doing the same thing. The reason he called me was because as you can understand from what I just described, he said, hey, didn't you invent this? Right. And at the time, I did not file a patent. Instead, I put it into the public domain, used it publicly, told people about it, had the press write about it, was on TV about it. And that was the defense they used, that the company that had filed the patent had done so based on my work that had already been put into the public so they couldn't patent something that was being used publicly. Right? Yeah, it's called prior art. So if, in order to get a patent, it's something that has to be novel. It, like, it has to be completely new. It has to be not obvious and some other requirements. I'm not yeah. a patent lawyer, by the way, so don't ask All me right. about it. And I loved your quote because we talked about that previously. And here in the Silicon Valley area, would you say you could throw a rock and pretty much hit a patent attorney? Yeah, basically. Well, the other one is uh, you can't swing a dead cat. That was the one from yeah. South Jersey where. <laughs> yes. You can't swing a dead cat. Yeah. And just by coincidence, the law firm that filed the patent for that company was my customer at the time using my service that I invented <laughs> to file the patent for their client. But what I think happened is because back then it, what it was, was the, it was an invention way down in the bowels of your email system that it did something with the internet. And I don't think that the attorneys, this was in the uh, early to late nineties. I don't think the attorneys at the top of the food chain were paying attention to what was happening in the IT department. Right. And I don't think they even knew. That's that, a common problem. That attorneys don't know what's going on? That, no. that no one tells the attorneys what's going <laughs> on. How about that? Yeah. And speaking of uh, attorney, you have, so th- this has been very fascinating, but it's, what's also fascinating is the very nature of your business. 
You are currently in Tokyo. Yeah. You are off to Beijing. How long will you be in Beijing? About three weeks. About three weeks. And then after Beijing, where do you go? I'm going to go to Bangkok for a few weeks, then to Seoul, South Korea for about a week. Then I'm in Los Angeles. Then I'm in uh, New Jersey and Pittsburgh and North Carolina and Indianapolis for Gen Con. So I've got a, quite a few destinations. Speaking of which, yes, I, I saw you are going to be a panelist at Gen Con, which is very exciting. Yeah. I mean, industry insider. An industry insider. You got to like that title. <laughs> Wear that badge, take a picture, tweet that out. Yep. But it would seem difficult to be an attorney on the road as much as you are, all of those places. You have a couple of things that you've been working on in our new age of uh, mobile <laughs> business. Yep. It's amazing. It is. And you mentioned a couple of them to me. So how do you stay in contact and up to date and actually getting work done while you're traveling like this? I use a service called Regis. Uh, Regis has business centers all over the world. So right here in Tokyo, there's six or eight of them. Uh, I pick one that's within walking distance of where I'm staying. And I can use this business lounge that they have. It's maybe like $50 a month. It's not a lot. And you can go and they have a desk. You can work there. They have free coffee, internet, all that. Uh, so that's how I actually work in an office when I'm traveling abroad. And then you use uh, you mentioned something about travelingmailbox.com? Yep, I use a service called Traveling Mailbox that uh, it receives my mail for me. They scan it in and then I can either shred it or forward it or read it there. It's perfect. That's snail mail and then you had mailletter.com. Mailletter.com is a service that will mail letters for you. Basically, you upload a PDF to them and they will mail a letter if letters need to be mailed. Luckily, I don't have to do this stuff very often. I don't receive a lot of mail because I have a completely paperless office, but occasionally you do have to send a letter. Well, that's absolutely amazing. We've been talking. Zach, I want to say thank you very much. We're out of time. Thank you very much for joining me on the show and kind of talking a little bit about the law and particularly this case. And when it comes right down to it is do your homework, do a little bit of research, talk to a lawyer, yep. and uh, make sure that you don't get caught like some of these other companies have. Yeah, I'll point out that I do free consultations and I love to talk to developers. So, I mean, you can always email me. <laughs> All right. That's, that's and totally they can fun. email you at zstrebeck. Zstrebeck at, at strebecklaw.com. And that's S-T-R-E-B-E-C-K. So, Zach, right. and then it's gamelawyerblog.com. They can go sign up for your newsletter. Zach, thank you again for being on the show. You are very welcome. I had a great time. Thanks. Thanks. Our intro and exit music is Orientation by Bureaucratic. You can listen to more of their music at soundcloud.com slash bureaucratic. Thanks for listening. Take care.